uh, my apologies for being here late. Uh, Lisa's visiting her mother, so she's not able to keep me on my time. And I got buried in the Word, and I thought, oh, no. And then I looked at a text that Leslie wasn't going to be there. So here we are. We're all together, and we're enjoying one another. And that last number, hopefully you can put that away out of your memory. <laughs> but at any rate, let's take our Bibles this morning, and let's turn to the book of Acts, <clears throat> Acts chapter 15. And uh, I guess what I'd like to do, we read the entire chapter uh, through verse 35 last week. Let's begin the reading in verse 19. Uh, as, you're, as you're turning to Acts 15, those of you who may not have been here, there's a question that's, that, that had arisen. And it, we're probably 20 years after the Feast of Pentecost, the beginning of the church. We're about 20 years into that. Um, but something has happened. Satan is trying to take an aggressive approach. Uh, the gospel has been presented. Jesus Christ obviously has been crucified, he's been buried, he's been risen from the dead, and literally that gospel message has now been going around the world. Started in Jerusalem, went to Samaria, has now went north into Syria, even up into Antioch of Pisidia. Laramie, maybe throw the map up on the wall, we'll be looking at that as well today. But the point is now, the question has always been, it's for us today as well, how is one saved? How do you get saved? That's really important. <laughs> Living through this life, what's really the issue? What are the things that allow that to happen? That's a question that was asked, literally. The Judaizers came into town, if you will. They came after Paul and Silas, Paul and Barnabas, I'm sorry, and were display, dispelling the gospel in its simplicity. They were saying it was grace. Grace is okay, but you need to be a Jew first. It would be like walking through that door. You've got to go through a porch door to get into the room of grace. And now the... The Council of Jerusalem, where it all started, is taking and making a decision. This is a big deal. Okay? So with that, let's, this would be a conclusion, if you will, after Peter and Paul and Barnabas and actually James, the half-brother of Jesus. There's a decision that's coming now. We'll just pick up the reading, verse 19, chapter 15. Wherefore, my sentence is that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols, from fornication, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. Then pleased it that the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas surnamed Barsabbas, and Silas chief men among the brethren. And they wrote letters by them after this manner. The apostle and elders and brethren send greeting unto the brethren which are, at, which are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your soul, saying, you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. It seemed good unto us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men that have, ha that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have sent, therefore, Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from meats offered to idols, from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication, from which you keep yourselves, you shall do well, fare you well. So when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch. When they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the epistle, which when they had read, they rejoiced for the consolation. And Judas and Silas, being prophets also themselves, exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. And after they had tarried there a space, they were let go in peace from the brethren unto the apostles. 
Notwithstanding, it pleased Silas to abide there still. Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. May God add a special blessing to the reading of His word. Let's just pause for prayer prior to our study. Father God, we are here this morning uh, with rejoicing in our hearts because You are God. You alone are God. You have created all things. We look around us in this beautiful mountain setting and to just see and to feel the power of an awesome God that spoke it into existence. It's mind-boggling to think the power, Father, that you have. Infinite power, an infinite God. Father, it's you that made a choice to, to, that, to bring Jesus Christ as the sole way of salvation. Father, these moments we have right now, I would ask that you'd be with each one that's gathered here today. And Father, there may be someone that has a very deep need, something that's overwhelming, something that cannot even be discussed. But Father, you know that heart better than they do. I would ask that you would surround them with your love. Touch them at the deepest portion of who they are. And Father, they would know that you and you alone are God. Now these moments, as we've asked you to take control of, we would ask also that the Holy Spirit would exclusively be our teacher. That the words from the scriptures would be expounded by he and he alone. Father, give us light. Give us life. And food for, to nourish our souls. We look to the word with anticipation giving you praise and honor and glory. In Christ's name, amen. This is a critical point, um, maybe just to review a little bit of where we're at in the, in the sense of, of the, uh, the map, shall we say. Um, we know that Jerusalem would have been the place that the, literally Jesus Christ was crucified. Now, if it was up to me, possibly, if Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was crucified, dead and buried there, I may pick another spot to maybe start with the gospel, which just seems safer. But no, that's not the way God does. He actually, in the town, just literally yards away from Jesus would have been hanging on a cross. The gospel was begun not, nowhere else but in the temple, on the outskirts of the outer portion of the temple called the, the court of the Gentiles. Things started to happen, in fact, very quickly. Peter, the apostle, the one that ran away, literally, at Jesus' crucifixion, and even before, and his betrayal was gone. He was gone. He's the one that gives the message. Fearless. 3,000 souls are saved. One day, one moment in Jerusalem. Well, I, as I've said earlier in my, in my comments, it literally 20 years has probably taken place. The Jews were where God began the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then just north a little bit in the, in the land of Judea was Samaria. It was a place that was looked with very downtrodden a look. There was half Jew half Gentile, if you were. They were half-breeds. If you were a Jew and a good Jew, a purist Jew, and you were north, you were in, say, Nazareth, and you had to go through Samaria, you wouldn't do that. You would go around Samaria because you didn't want to touch that place. And all of a sudden, God, in his sense of the church and the gospel of Christ, is including the Samaritans within the church. They're going to be together. Think about that for a second. You know, they talk about racism and divided peoples in the United States. I can't tell you how far apart the Samaritans and the Jews were. That's one of the things that just incites to me the love of Jesus Christ. If you remember back in the Gospels, he, Jesus, met with the woman at the well. That's weird. 
Okay, first of all, in that culture, men didn't visit with women just in the everyday thing. She was there to gather water. That was her job. Here's Jesus having a conversation with not a Jewish woman, a Samaritan woman of all things. And the apostles come, what are you doing, Jesus? Don't you know this is weird? And you know what he was preaching, though? He was preaching living water. All of a sudden, that lady, he had her right where she needed to be. He spoke where she started, and that was she was getting water. He said, I am water. I am the living water. And she said, wow, that's what I need. She said, and he says, why don't you go get your husband? Oh, wait, I don't have one of those. And he says, I know you're on number five. And she says, I perceive you're a prophet. <laughs> no kidding. But it was amazing, wasn't it? How Jesus worked through each one of those scenarios, bringing himself to the forefront. Well, that same gospel now has been shared with the Samaritans as a whole. They're getting saved. The Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, was, began in the, it, at Pentecost. It was further introduced, if you will, in big fashion in Samaria. Peter was the one that was there as well. If you're going to be together in the same group, it would be pretty important that it is validated. Now, it goes beyond that. Who would be least of the sense of being in the same community as the Jews in the sense of a togetherness and a God-fearing, a God-worshiping moment would be the Gentiles. There would be nothing more further from the truth than to have Gentiles. Cornelius was that man. If you remember in Acts chapter 10, a sheet comes down to heaven to, to Peter, and it's full of all kinds of things that he can't have. And he was quick to point that out. That's one of the things we talked about, the difference between the law and legalism. Legalism is really who gets the glory. And legalism is doing the law to pump ourselves up. Legalism is to do more stuff, more than the people around us, so that we look better. There's nothing wrong with the law. It's just no law. There's no life in the law. Uh, we find that even we went last week. Today we want to look at the sense of really, and I'm going to put back on the board as we're continuing, how are we saved? Well, it's pretty clear that the gospel is grace through faith. Faith in not you, not anything, not in works. We could, and that was the part. You had to be a Jew or circumcision in addition to grace to be saved. It's grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone equals salvation. If you add anything to that equation, you have nothing left. You have nothing. That was the message. Uh, so, oops. I truly cannot do two things at once. I have to write salvation while I have it. This, the Jews, the Judaizers that had come. In fact, let's continue on our map. Uh, this gospel now had spread literally. Uh, it had went from Judea. Tarsus was the city that Paul, who was Saul, he was the one that was just harboring damage against the church. That's where he came from, Cilicia. And we saw that in our reading today, right? Cilicia. Who started those churches there? When Paul was not accepted, when he was Saul at that time, he was, he was persecuting the church. They sent him away. They said, no, 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 we don't trust you. Well, guess what? God used him in this town, in this country of Cilicia. Now, that journey, the first one, they would have went to Cyprus. They would have went to Perga, north to Antioch of Pisidia. That was the place that they literally were starting churches. As they came back, they would have come to Antioch of Syria. That was a home base for the Gentile church. And this is where the Judaizers came back to. Now, what if you would have been told that, you know what, you are saved. You are free for eternity from sin. And that is, the, that is man's biggest problem. It's not climate change. I've said that a number of times from this very spot. Climate change is not man's biggest problem. Sin is man's biggest problem. This is what's causing climate change, honestly. The sin, in the Garden of Eden, it was perfect. 
right? There was no climate problems. It was perfect. Sin is literally what changed everything. But let's say that you accepted Christ by grace. You had faith. That's trusting in Him for your salvation. You are saved. And all of a sudden, someone comes into town and says, oh, no, 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 no. That's not enough. You need to be circumcised. You need to have a medical procedure to literally add to. In fact, it was just saying this, you need to be a Jew before you could be a Christian. That would throw you a loop, wouldn't it? You would say, what? You mean, that's messing with you, isn't it? How are you saved? So this whole thing literally takes so much disputation and dissension that Paul and Barnabas go from Antioch, where's Antioch? Right here. They go back down to Jerusalem. They're meeting with a council, the council of Jerusalem. They're going to have to meet with the apostles and come up with a decision, truly what is salvation. Um, And again, we're still reviewing, but from last week we saw that Peter, Paul and Silas, I'm sorry, Paul and Barnabas, I'm moving to the second missionary journey. Larry, stop, let Barnabas and Paul be together for a while. And then ultimately from James, the half-brother of Jesus. All of those pointed to the fact, faith, grace through faith equals salvation, period. That's the doctrinal position. Today, if anyone tells you that you come, that you're saved any other way than that, you tell them that they are wrong because of, not because of what I said, not because of what you think, because that's what the Word of God says. You don't add anything to it. If you add something to grace, you have no grace left. To get into this room, let's just say this was the room of grace. How do you get into that? Where does the key, what is the key to get into this? It is faith. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. He gives you the gift, the faith, the key that opens this door. The Jews were saying, oh, no, no, no. You have to have the key of Judaism to be able to get in the first door, and then you use faith in Christ to get into the second door. No, a thousand times no. That's why the book of Galatians was literally written. There's no life in the law. But now there's something that was added to it. This is what we wanted to talk about. There's a sense of position doctrinally that it is grace alone. But there was four things that James from the church, the council of Jerusalem, is adding to it. Does this have to do with, in other words, these four things? It has to do with a couple of things that would be very, very prominent in the sense of a Jewish life. Now, we're, again, keeping in mind that the Jews and the Gentiles are going to come together to be one body. That's not an easy feat. That would be like putting Presbyterians in with Baptists. No, times a million. Right? And you guys are smiling because you know what I'm talking about. Okay? And God said before there was even those branches, there was literally Jews and Gentiles of which you, you, can't, you, you, can't, you can't put them in the same room. Now, this is, the, this is this first and foremost. How are they saved? They're saved the same way. The Jew and the Gentile are saved exactly the same way. Jesus Christ paid the price. Sin is our biggest problem. He paid for it. Now, my faith in Christ is providing that, being the propitiation, big word, saying the satisfying of the debt. We're paid. We're declared not guilty. That's the way Jew and Gentile come. But now think of backgrounds for a moment. And you know this. In our country, in America, it's a melting pot, isn't it? There's a lot of different thoughts. There's a lot of different things. Uh, Paul grew up in Minnesota. I grew up in North Dakota. You folks are from Iowa. Peter, where did you, where did you start? 
Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Do you see just in this little assembly, it's from all over. The backgrounds are amazing. I came from agriculture. You may have, who knows? All of those things, those choices that even weren't things that you made, make you who you are. That's the only way any of you can be saved, period. That is, that is where you have to start from. But there's another thing that's important. If you were a Jew, there would have been things that would be very, very caustic in the sense of how you would receive them. One of them is idolatry. Idolatry was a huge thing to the Jews. Now, think, keep in mind, if you were your forefathers at this time and age, we're, we're into the after Christ, uh, we're in the A.D. moments, but B.C., 722 B.C., had the nation of Israel was divided in two parts. The Assyrians actually took control and captured the northern tribes because they were engaging in idolatry. Okay? That's the reason that they were taken hostage. They were taken captive. The Babylonians, because of idolatry in the other tribes, were taken off. So if that is in your history, idol worship is a big no-no. Now, the Gentiles, however, and talking in groups, the Gentiles in some of these cities even that have been evangelized, that literally they would have been engaged in idol worship at an, I mean, an all-time level. Now, if a Gentile would have come to worship, now a Jew would have went to the temple with a sacrifice for his sins, his or her sins. Okay? That, sin requires life. Even God in the Garden of Eden. They put on their fig, fig leaves. I don't know where they got that fashion shop, but it must have been really cool. I don't know what color they were, but they, they look good, right? And, but God said, no, 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 no. What did he do? He put animal skins on them. It required the first loss of life in the Garden of Eden was the animals that were slain to cover the two human beings that had sinned. It requires lifeblood. That's the justice of sin. As we go on, the Jew would have seen that whole sacrificial system, which I am so glad I am on the other side of Jesus. I'm on this side of Jesus, I should say. On the other side of Jesus, they would have looked forward to Jesus Christ coming. But you had a sacrifice in the meantime. Oh, my goodness. It would have been no fun to worship then. Here we can come because Christ paid the price. I'm here because I love Jesus Christ and what he did. There it was like, honey, let's go to the temple. Bring along the lambs. We're guilty again, right? It would be wearisome. And that's for today. Tomorrow it's all brand new. You do it again. <laughs> Hold your face, right? What are we going to do? It's back to the Gentiles. As they would come with meat that would be offered to the idols that are set up in the temples. And then the priests. Now, by the way, there was also a sexual component to the whole worship in the Gentile thing that there would have been priestesses, which were nothing more than prostitutes, that literally it was an engagement of complete an orgy. That would have been part of this worship session. So these things would have been so resistant. The Jews would have been so resistant to, first of all, the worship of idols, plus the whole thing surrounding it. But it even got worse. Let's say that you, now this is the church, back, back into the church, and Paul, being a Gentile, would have offered over some, or, or would have invited over some Jewish friends. And Paul and Luce made a fantastic supper. It was amazing. And the Jewish couple said, wow, that was great. Where did you get it? How did you? 
oh, well, actually, um, it was some leftover meat from the temple down, down, the, down the street, and the priests were selling the meat. It was cheap, but it was so good. Now, do you know what you've just done to your Jewish friends? Hawooshki, you will never see them again. <laughs> That's as violent as you could possibly be. So now we're moving beyond doctrinal issues, and now we're talking about fellowship issues. You know, we live under law yet today. Did you know that? You say, whoa, Larry, you're, you know, we'll find it. We're going to go to the scriptures and we're going to find it. There are laws of which we live under. Now, one of the things we were careful to say last week was legalism is pump ourselves up. We're using the law to make ourselves look good. The law itself, there's nothing in the world wrong with it. But how did God issue the law? The law of God was literally this. You obey this or you will be punished. That's the Old Testament. You, you obey or you pay. Okay. Now, when we went to the New Testament and we saw, I literally, you have multitudes of spiritual blessings and you obey because you love God for what he's done for you. We're living under a law today. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, you're living under a law. Oh, you are on dangerous territory. Didn't you just say, yes, that's exactly true. But let's go to the scriptures for a moment and let's see how we react to the sense of these things that were potentially would have severed a fellowship, severed a union between two different groups of people that have the same Holy Spirit, have the same gospel, have the same way to get saved. There's a law that is literally part of who we are. Let's go there for a moment. Find my glasses again. Let's see what the Bible says. Well, let's go. What, one of the places is James. Now, this is the same man that is issuing this letter if, that's been written that's going to be sent out to the church, to these Gentiles. Uh, James chapter 1. Let's go there. James chapter 1. And uh, he says in verse 25 this. Now, James, if you were going to go to the book of James, and, and I don't know if, how you are if you're kind of a, a doctrinal thinker, you're a theology person, or you want to just get the rubber meets the road. Give me the real stuff. I want to get on with living, making it work. James would be the book I'd want you to start in. It's, it's making reality of theology. He says this in verse 25, chapter 1, But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. A law called the law of liberty. The law of liberty. What the world is that? Well, let's go to Galatians chapter 2. Turn back to Galatians, and let's go to chapter 6. I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 6, and let's take a look at how Paul is responding. Now, the interesting part, those of you that haven't been here, is that, guess what? pointing the thing at me now, there we go, is, did you notice this word up here, Galatia, okay? The book of Galatians, the epistle of Galatia, Galatians was written to this area, region where they went the first missionary journey. The Judaizers had come in behind. They were trying to steal their salvation. So he's writing to them. This is what it's about. Let's go to chapter 6, verse 2, and it says, Brethren, verse 1, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you, which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Considering thyself, lest thou be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So now we've got this law of liberty, we've had the law of Christ. Where did that start? Let's go to John chapter 13. Jesus himself. He gives a new commandment. John chapter 13. John 13, verse 34. 
It says this. Let's see. We'll start in verse 31. Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, now where is he giving this? Where is he giving this? Right here at the last time they were gathered together. This is the last supper, the the communion. They were gathered together, and Jesus is going to say something that is profound. It says, when he went out, who went out? Judas Iscariot, he left. Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself, and shall straightway glorify himself. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Boy, if they knew that, it was just hours. You shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whether I go, you cannot come, so now I say to you. Watch verse 34. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love to another. That's the law in which we live under in the law of grace, the law of Christ. The law of, now there's another place we find it called something else. We were in James chapter 1, verse 25. Let's go to James chapter 2 and verse 8. It's called something even more, and they're all the same thing. James chapter 2, verse 8. This is kind of cool. It says, if you fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Do you start to see a pattern to this? The law of Christ, the royal law, the law of, I've already forgotten it. Excuse me? Liberty. There we go. The law of liberty. All of those are literally this. Now think of when I just say the law of liberty, you are right away saying, Larry, that's an oxymoron. How can you have a law and liberty? That's crazy, isn't it? Let's go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13. Law of liberty. Wow. Chapter 5, verse 13. For brethren, you have been called unto liberty... James, or, I'm sorry, Paul speaking to the Galatians, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You, are you starting to see a pattern? The law of Christ, the royal law, the law of liberty, all of those things are revolving around what? Loving your neighbor as yourself. Isn't that true? There are really only two commandments. Love the Lord like God. No idolatry, if you will. Nothing else. Now, that's interesting, too. Um, idolatry, when I, as I was growing up, if somebody said the word idol, I'm thinking statue. I'm thinking something that's manufactured, a sculptured something or whatever. And, and to me, but that's not an idol. Oh, it couldn't be an idol, but that's not the only idol. In fact, that's a small picture. I want you to think in your mind now. I want, to think, I want you to think in the last week. I want you to think about what did I spend most of my time doing? What was I yearning for? What was I studying the most? Where did I present myself in the most of my time and energy? That, my friends, is your God. That is your God. And if it's not the Lord God, then it is an idol. It grabs you, it ensnares you, and it takes control of you. Now, I'm not trying to point my finger at anyone. I have the same issues. I have, to th- I have to ask myself the same thing. But in the 24-hour period that you've had in the last seven days, what captured you the most? Now, I'm, if you're at a job, I get it. Well, I guess my job isn't. No, 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 stop. It's like me. I can sit in that chopper, but my mind is not necessarily totally attacked to it all the time. I can listen to Bible on, you know, an audio Bible. 
I can be thinking about, God, what do you want me to do next? Where do you want me to be? Who should I call? You, you see what I'm saying? Not just the moments of what you're doing, but how is my mind, what is it hold, being held by? How do we get the law of Christ in our minds? How do we get the, the because there's people, quite honestly, folks, they're hard to love. <laughs> I'm just blunt. There are people that are hard to love. How do we do that? Pray for them. And you know what? I remember that as, as, as you just said that. There was a man that sat back, right down, back there were uh, Mrs. Deagle. Um, Karen, there we go. I'm so sorry. I, you're my, you're, yes, I know you, but. It's okay. I get my... And Mrs. Deagle, I know you've been addressed that way from all your kids in school. <laughs> but at any rate, there was a man that sat back there. He came and he called me. He said, Larry, I said, I, I need to talk to you. It's a man I didn't know real well, but I knew him fairly well. And he, he said, I need to talk to you. And I said, great. So we set up a meeting. He comes in, and I said, just, and he shares for moments, it was quite a few moments, of where literally an ex-partner had literally taken him out. He'd lost his share of the business. He had totally decimated the relationship, and this man was angry. He was angry. Now, what is the difference between anger into bitterness? It seems like just a little more anger in time. That's why in Ephesians chapter 5, it says literally, don't let the sun go down on your anger, right? Because I'm telling you, the longer you're angry about the same thing, the more likely you are to become embittered by it. And bitterness is not something that hurts someone else. It's like you drinking the poison and wishing for the other person to die or have a disease, right? That's how bitterness works. You pay the price. And he says, what can I do? How can I, how, what, Larry, I'm here to ask you, what can I do? I said, the first thing we need to do right now is pray for that man. Oh, I could never do that. I said, then you're not going to get over it. You can't get over it until you're willing to let God handle that man or woman that has hurt you and praying for them. You release that burden to the best place to go, and that's to God. We spoke for quite some time. You know, he left here, but that never happened I don't know that it ever did. But I can tell you this, without him doing that, the bitterness is eating him up. It's true, isn't it? It's absolutely true. Now that law of love, how do we get that? How do we get love for people that are hard to love? God's grace. God's grace. That's right. It starts right there at the sense of salvation. There's two things that are two principles that are under that are under ridden to all of this. Now, the thing that was, see, see, Acts is about the Holy Spirit. It's about the Holy Spirit coming to different groups, at least perception of different groups, that are all going to be joined in unity through the power of God. The Holy Spirit is doing the joining. It's the same Holy Spirit. In other words, the Jews don't have a Holy Spirit. The Samaritans don't have another Holy Spirit. And the Gentiles have another Holy Spirit. No, 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 no. That's the purpose of Acts, to show each situation that the same Holy Spirit is validating the gospel in each one of those groups' salvation. So let's go and let's follow on. Where do I have you right now? In Galatians chapter 5? Let's keep going. Chapter 5, verse 13, we said that... Or the, verse 14, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And I know you can think of a neighbor or two right now that are difficult. They're tough. They're tough. How do we do that? 
For if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you not be consumed one of another. See, that's the, alter, that's the alternate. You either love one another or you're literally consumed by one another. Watch this. This I say then. In other words, when you see a, a wherefore or a therefore, find out what it's there for. And this he said, because of this, I'm saying now, walk in the Spirit. Oh, there it is. Are your decisions that you're making daily, the time that you're spending, are you yielding to the Holy Spirit? Are you letting the Spirit lead you and guide you? I hope so. Because that's how you literally can love someone that's unlovable. When someone is in need, it's amazing how literally the love of God can come out of you. That literally the love of God overpowers you to do the right thing at the right time. Walking in the Spirit. It says, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So true. In this age of grace, the law of Christ is literally defined by walking in the Spirit. Now, when you think about love, let's go back and let's compare it. Because there are people today that are trying to live, they're trying to take salvation and they're adding to their faith. They're adding things. Okay? In other words, they're keep, someone that says that you can lose your salvation, that you are not secure in Jesus Christ, then I would have to question the sense of what your salvation is. If it depends on you, it's not good enough. You're not strong enough to hold a true salvation. It will be stronger than you. Or that it'll be necessarily be more strong. So when you add something to it, there's pressure, isn't there? There's fear, honestly. It really is. Think of in the Old Testament. Let's say that you, oh, well, we sacrificed the lamb, honey. We can go home. Please don't sin tomorrow. Well, it's going to happen, isn't it? It's just going to happen. It's just a matter of when, right? Well, let's get another lamb. Let's go back. You know what you're living under? You're living under fear. There are people literally today that are so fearful of death that it is consuming them. There are people that are so fearful of losing what they have. If I'm obeying because of fear, that is living under the law. That is not grace. Grace says that Christ paid for it all. He did the work. I'm accepting the free gift that he has totally boxed up, put a bow on it, and said, Larry, that's yours. Receive it by faith. If we do it any other way, we are under fear. Now, 1 John, the, the, the epistle of 1 John talks about love and fear. Do you know they can't coexist? In fact, let's go there for a moment. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. It says this. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. It says that perfect love, let's read it. Herein is our love made perfect. And what, what, what is the law of Christ? What is the law of liberty? Loving your neighbor as yourself. Love the law of love. Okay? Herein is our love made perfect or mature that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casteth out fear because fear hath torment and he that feareth is not made perfect in love. Did you see that? Love actually casts out fear. If you're full of fear today, then the law of Christ is not part of you. What can we do about it? Well, we found one way. That was literally to walk in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit. Now, James has something else to say about it. How do you walk in the Spirit? There's almost like a coexistent, it's like the same footsteps. How do you walk in the Spirit? Let's see what James says. Let's go back to our text in chapter 1 of James. James chapter 1. And he says some things. James chapter 1, and we'll start in verse 18. Of his own will, 
begat us with the word of truth. You know, now, if you're, if you're saved, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, it says that faith cometh from hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Literally, the word of God is how you receive truth. And you respond to truth either with faith or without. You, you reject it or you accept it. It's coming from his own will. He spoke to us through truth, the truth that is in the word of God. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his, of his creatures. Verse 19, wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Boy, start ingesting that for a moment. I could use that, couldn't I? Slow to speak, quick to hear, two ears, only one mouth. There's a message there. And slow to wrath, right? There's a message there, right? And Larry could listen a lot more. For the wrath of men worketh not the righteousness of God. Isn't that true? Wherefore lay apart, this is set aside all filthiness and superfluity of it naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. It's like setting aside those things that we obviously don't need or against us, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straight, straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. Now in the mornings, I'm suspicious that most of you at some point before you venture out in the world, you'll look at a mirror if you're bold. And it's amazing how sometimes in the morning we need to do something about what we look like, right? <laughs> Not so much if we're wandering on the house ourselves or whatever, but if you're going to go out, you should maybe take a look, right? And you're nodding and laughing. It's true. But now what would be more silly than for us to take a look at, at, our, at, at our, the mirror image and we say, ah, whatever, and take off and look. That's like reading the Word of God, letting the Spirit work on us, and we do nothing about it. It's the same. It's the same deal. We must be doers, being actively engaged in what the Word brings to us through the power of the Spirit. How do you yield to the Spirit? How do you walk in the Spirit? By taking the Word in. The Holy Spirit speaks to us through the Word, and then literally we have a choice to do. This is how you yield to the Spirit, is you do what you read. There's a lot of people today wandering around that know a lot. They don't do a lot. There's doers. And there's knowers. I want a knower that it's a doer. Isn't it true? I want somebody that's actively engaged in knowing what the truth is. You want to get the law of Christ, the law, the royal law, the law of liberty in your lives? Start doing what you know to be true. Now, that's the one thing that I look at our world, our society right now. It is hard to find truth. You get on the internet, you get on the television, whatever communication device you have. I don't know where you get your information from. It doesn't matter. Right now, truth is at a famine level. There is no truth that's easily accessible. And the truth is being, what do I want to say, hedged against by all of the other lies. It's hard to find the truth, isn't it? You just look at the news. What do you, what do you see? You're overwhelmed with non-truth in most cases. That's why the only thing, no matter, and, and Paul was talking about world events today, the war that's going on in the Middle East. War is such a horrible thing. Today there will be women and children that will die, that will be tortured because of the expense of war. The law of Christ, the law of love is at an all-time low in our world today. 
because people have, first of all, not seen the beauty of a simple salvation and then yielding to the Spirit by taking the Word in and becoming a... You know, it's not, it's, it's not real hard, but it's really hard to enact, right? It's like someone I said last week, or maybe I said it a number of times. Someone says, well, I don't want to... I want to be free to do what I want to do. I want to be free to sin. I want to f- be free to do anything I want to... No, 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 stop for a moment. If you're that person, then you need to take a step back. And, you know, I'm going I'm to tell you something. You can't stop doing that. You couldn't if you wanted to. That's the enslavement of sin. Liberty is to be able to not be able to not have to do it. That's what you get in Christ. The law of love, literally. Just soak yourself in that for a moment. Love others as yourself. The best-selling books in New York Times, the bestsellers list, will never be about serving others. It won't be. It'll be looking out for number one. How to love yourself more than anyone else. It's all about self, self, self. Self. Self needs no more exaltation. Self is the problem. That's what Adam and Eve traded in the Garden of Eden as they traded God for self. You will be like gods, right? That's what Satan, that was his, that was his lie. That was his, hey, try this on for size. You can be just like God. Eve says, hmm. You know what he uses today in your life to, before you sin is doubt. Doubt that God loves you. God loved you so much, he made a choice. He made a plan to literally give Jesus Christ to die for your sin. He died for my sin. My sin. My personal sin, Jesus Christ died for. My choice is, will I receive the gift alone by faith? And then, how do I live going forward? Do I live under the law of love? Do I set some things aside? Does my freedom allow fellowship to be more important than me to engage in things that I feel? See, today, now, I'm, I'm not nearly as worried about food being kosher. That doesn't bother me. I'm not living under that law. But if I invite Jews over to have supper, I'm probably not going to have pork chops. Right? Why am I doing that? Because I don't have freedom? No. But because I want to be able to engage them in what? Into salvation. You see, if a Gentile would have been very freedom-oriented, very much, I have my rights. See, what the first thing I'll tell you about that person that says that? There's not a lot of love going on. There's love, but it's for self. Myself exceeds anything of anyone else. Isn't that the message of our world today? Isn't that what society is just promoting? Right? All of these movements, right? Me first movement. The me movement. The woke Oh, it's all about promotion of not others, but of self. And what did Jesus say? In fact, Jesus said he didn't even, let's see, where did, where's that at? I got to think about it because it was so good. Um, oh, I mean, I get it. Where he didn't even do his own. He, he literally laid down his life. It wasn't his pleasure. He did it for others. Now, I'm, I'm not going to get it. Oh, yeah, I think I do. Let's go to Romans chapter 13. You want, how many of you owe... What do you think you owe someone else? What do you owe someone else? There's something you'll never get paid off. Whoa, you don't like that much, do you? I mean, I want our debts paid in full. Let's go to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. Wow, Romans such a magnificent book. Romans chapter 13 and verse 8. Owe no man anything but... <laughs> to love one another. Isn't that fantastic? You can't ever get 
done paying your love for others. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Oh, there it is again. Did you see it? The law of Christ, the law of liberty, the law of love. He goes into chapter 14 of Romans. And Romans 14, we don't have time to go into it today, but it's literally the same thing. In setting aside our liberty to engage in loving others, the weaker brother. Now, again, the, Jew, the Jewish brother would have been very, very or just in, ensnared by all of the Gentile worship modes. Again, so there's, so there's meat that's been offered to idols. There is no other God. There is one God, Jehovah, Yahweh. That's it. There is no, so for, for us, for the Gentiles, so what? That was a good deal and some good meat. We're okay to eat that. For the Jew, that would have been just, oh, I mean, heart rendering. They would have just, it would have been like just driving a knife through them. Chapter 14, verse 1, him that is weak in the faith, receive, but not to doubtful disputations. If you've been around somebody that has to argue to win the point every single time, aren't they fun to be around? Right? You can't wait. To, in fact, sometimes you just say, you're right. Let me get out of here, right? And there are people like that. They have to be right every single time. Did you see the love in that? There's no love in that. Think of it. No. Again, it's promotion of self, right? It's legal elements at its max. Paul is saying in Romans, guess what? Receive that weaker brother, that one that is seeing some sense of dissension in what you're maybe... Receive them. Put your liberty aside. Engage in fellowship. The church is to be unified. The Jew and the Gentile together. Isn't that a weird message? But that's the message of Christ. That's the law of love. That's the law of liberty. That's the bearing one another's burdens. See, when, you're, when you get underneath that brother or sister that's really being... that's struggling, and you say, I tell you, honey, I'll tell you what, let's just do it together. Isn't there something strength in that? And you talk about wanting to listen now? You want to hear about liberty? You want to hear about salvation? You know what? When you're in the fight together, there's something that does that. That's why I love what, uh, oh, David, uh, David. Nope. Uh, missionary from uh, North Carolina. David White. David White. That's what I love about David White. You know what he does? He's a doer. He gets right into where those emergency efforts are. There might be a tornado, might be a hurricane, whatever. You know where David's going to be with his trailer? He's going to be right in the middle of that. He's going to be helping those people. And you know what those people want to know? When that guy's right beside them, getting them out of trouble and lifting and going and doing, why are you doing this? Because of that. Because of the law of love. Because Jesus Christ died for you. You know what? They're listening. I remember one time, this actually happened. David White, he was here. And he comes, you guys, most of you know who I'm talking about. Man, what a giver. What a doer, right? So we're in, we're in a restaurant, and the waitress is walking by, and he says, he says, ma'am, he said, we're about to pray. Is there anything I could pray for you? She melted. You see, that's living the law of Christ. Isn't that true? And I spoke yesterday to the family there at Kathy Balls, and I'll tell you the thing that just, I just looked down, and I saw Clarence's tombstone, and it said 2005. I could not believe that 18 years had went by since I performed that, that service. I couldn't believe it. Time flies. Taking the moments that we know that are in the best interest of someone else is so vital. Tell that person you love them today. Give that hug. 
Because that's what makes the difference. That's really what it's about. The law of Christ. Will you set aside your liberty to engage someone to make sure that they have the opportunity to see Jesus? It's worth it. Jesus Christ laid down his life. It wasn't in his best interest. (laughs) Think of that. 33 years he walked this earth, and when it was all said and done, what he did was he said, I'm going to give you everything that I am. I'm innocent, the perfect Lamb of God required for the sin of the world. John the Baptist said as he saw Jesus from a distance. John, you know, I mean, what a guy, right? John the Baptist. I mean, that guy didn't look in the mirror in the morning. He just went about his business, right? He's eating grasshoppers and he's got a camel hair suit on, right? And he's just like, I am John the Baptist and I'm going to talk about the light of Jesus and I don't care what I look like. (laughs) Jesus is number one. And here comes Jesus on that day. The day he's going to get baptized by John the Baptist. And John sees him from a long ways off, I believe, by the power of the Spirit. And he says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. What a prophecy, right? And three years later, that's exactly what happened at Passover at 3 o'clock in the afternoon when the priests were going to get those lambs for the big Passover meal, our session. Guess who's the Passover lamb that's hanging on a cross for your sin and for my sin? It's Jesus Christ. Just like John said. John's attitude is the best. It's the best. I must decrease, and he, Jesus, must increase. I would be happy to have that on my tombstone. I must decrease, and Jesus must increase. Nothing could be better, because I want Jesus big. I want everybody to see that it's his power, his grace, that my sin is conquered. The law of Christ, the law of love, the law of liberty, the royal law. Those are laws that we live under, because not because we're forced to, but because we love our Lord. It's different, isn't it? Husbands and wives. There's something, there's some things that a husband will do for a wife because he loves her. That if you told him, if I told him to do that, he would pound sand, buddy. I'm not doing that. But because of a love for his wife, he said, yes, honey, I'm going to do that because I love you. Doesn't it say something to God when we obey his command? We say, I love you, God, and I'm going to do that. Not because it's fun, because it's easy, because I know that's what you want me to do. I'm going to love that other person, even though I can't really figure out how to love them. In fact, I know where I'm going to close. We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 3. The fact is, all of this is coming from the power that is within you in the Holy Spirit. Paul is praying for that for the Ephesian church. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 3, and we will close here. Ephesians chapter 3. This one here just cheers me up when things are tough. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3, and I'm going to start. He begins a prayer uh, for the Ephesians as he's ended his doctrinal positioning, his theology teaching. And I'm going to just jump in in verse 16, and he says this. He's asking. All right, let's start in verse 14. That's where it begins. Let's just start right there. Verse 14, chapter 3 of Ephesians. Listen carefully. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit, in the inner man. That's yielding to the Spirit. That's the power of the Holy Spirit, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, and height, to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, 
that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. You see how it is? All of those things that are beyond what you can think or ask is because of the power that is within us. Unto him be glory in, in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all the ages, world without end. Amen. If that doesn't instill a sense of confidence within you, then I have nothing left. That is powerful, my friends. The gospel is powerful. The law of Christ, the law of love is powerful. Is if our world ever needed more of both, it is right now. Are you praying for your neighbor? <clears throat> Who is your neighbor? <laughs> Everyone else, right? <laughs> I, I, remember, I said I was going to close. And I prom- I, I, I'm going to break a promise. Just eat it. Third, <laughs> Lisa and I weren't even married. It was in the, in the winter of 80, 1982. No, no, we had just gotten married. I'm sorry, it was the winter of 1983. We got married July 30th of 1983, and that December, between Christmas and New Year's, um, her mother uh, had us go to, to Los Angeles, California, and visit Lisa's sister, Bonnie, in a suburb of Los Angeles. And uh, you know, we fly into LAX, and I knew we were going to be killed. Her brother-in-law came and got us. <laughs> I'm actually in the back seat hiding, because it's crazy, and that's... 40 years ago, <laughs> right? Okay. And we get there, we go behind this gated community, you know, this gate, lock gate community. We get up, you know, the, the next morning, I want to go get an LA Times. I, I want to go get a paper from this town, right? So I, I'm, and I'm up early and I get dressed. I got the card or whatever. I have to get out of the gate, you know, and I go down the corner store and I walk in and there's no one in there, just this young little gal. And I said, good morning. How are you? And I'm going to tell you there was fear, not only in her eyes, it was written everywhere. I thought, I should have looked in the mirror. <laughs> What's wrong with me? What did I say? <laughs> and I, you know, quickly I, I, I grabbed an LA Times and I got it and paid for it and left. And I'm just, what the world? So I go upstairs and I say to my brother-in-law, Irvin, I said, what, what did they do wrong? He said, well, you don't talk to anybody here. <laughs> You don't even look at anybody here. And I'm like thinking, how does that work? Is that, is that what Jesus would have done? That's how removed we become from one another because of the, the opposite of the law of love, isn't it? There are cities today that neighbors don't even know who they are. They have no idea. But even worse, they don't even want to know. We need the law of Christ. We need the law of you know where it starts? With you. One person at a time. I'm convinced that this week someone will come across your mind, and I want you to act on it. That may be just as simply as picking up your cell phone and dialing that number. That person needs you right then. It's not by happenstance that God uses your mind to recall people. And when you, you need to do that. Because that's how God works. That's the law of Christ working. That's literally what was taking place in this church. Next week, we're going to look at literally the result. You know, I, was, I had five points that I was going to give you the receiving of this message. We don't have time for it. We're going to open next time by saying, how is this message received? Is grace through faith enough? How did they respond? Now, again, keep, think of the anticipation. Back here, 
in Antioch and Syria, those people are anxious. Boy, I wonder what they're going to do. I mean, are we going to have to become a Jew before we can find Christ? Are we going to have to do stuff before literally we'll be accepted? Think of that for a moment. This question is, is just as big today. There are people today that are just shivering because they don't know how to get through this phase of physical death. And the answer is Jesus Christ. We need to share it. Okay, I promised a long ago I was going to stop. So now I will say we are finished. But I want the law of Christ, the law of love, to be evident in your lives. Even if it's one person this week, you pray that God would give you one person to share your love, His love, with them. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for the love of Christ that lives within us. Father, may the scripture become living. May we be doers. Father, I'm confident that this group here today, there will be people that you will bring across their mind. Someone specifically purposeful for that individual. I would pray, Father, that you would give them the tenacity, the boldness, and even the timeliness to see the importance of dealing with that immediately. Father, I'll pray that the Holy Spirit would prepare that heart or that life in which they will be endeavoring to get involved with. Maybe it's about salvation. Maybe it's about just giving confidence. Maybe it's about giving encouragement. Whatever it is, Father, may the law of Christ, may the law of love be evident in our lives. Father, I know you want to use us. I don't know why, but you do. But the point of the matter is, Father, we need to yield to the Spirit and stay in the Word. Stay in the Word. Father, may your blessings go out to these all of these that are listening today, that your work would be done your way with your power in our lives. Go with us in Jesus' name. Amen.